Welcome to the Beyond the Shoe Box Score Podcast, where you hear from current and former Sacred Heart student-athletes and coaches. Here's your host, Dan Gardella. Hi, everybody, and welcome into the first edition of the Beyond the Shoe Box Score Podcast. My name is Dan Gardella. I'm going to be so happy to be doing this podcast series as we progress throughout the year. This is my senior project, uh, this podcast series that I'm going to be doing. Uh, and, and while it is a, a, an assignment or a school project, I, I'm so excited to get started. If you follow me on any social media, Twitter, Instagram, whatever, you know how much I truly love following, covering, watching Sacred Heart Sports. And, and, and it, this is just another extension of me being able to talk to so many current and former student-athletes, coaches, and even more people who are associated with the university that make this place so great. Just some background on myself. I was raised in Fairfield, Connecticut, so Sacred Heart has been a big part of my life since as long as I can remember. There were many football games, basketball games that I went to growing up that allowed me to get so acclimated with this place so quickly. I It was pretty much in my backyard, if we're being honest, and I didn't expect to end up at Sacred Heart. I think I was that typical college kid that wanted to branch out and go to a different state and and broaden their horizons, as they say, you know, the typical... Uh, the typical speech that a college kid gives their parents to try and convince them to move far away. But that's that's beside the point. Nevertheless, I'm here. I've been able to cover and talk and meet and become close with so many different people around the university that, like I said, make this place so great. And this is just going to be an extension of being able to talk to and learn and, and have you guys, the audience, learn more about so many of these people that have created so many memories and accomplishments, championships, uh, individual awards that that have have really been showcased at Sacred Heart. So it'll be a once a week podcast. Ideally, I like to have them come out every Monday. Um, obviously, with everything going on and online classes, and we just got news yesterday that off-campus students aren't allowed on campus for the foreseeable future due to COVID concerns. So basically, I'm going to be running a podcast out of my room, along with getting my education out of my room and. And everything's going to be out of my room. But nevertheless, it doesn't take away from my excitement for being able to do this podcast. And there have been so many people already who have reached out to me with ideas and people that they would want to see interview by me. And and if you want me to interview somebody, reach out to me on my social medias. I always try to get back to everybody and, and, and respond to anybody who has a suggestion about even how I can make this podcast better. I know this is going to be a very rough, rough episode to start and if there's any advice or ways that you want to see this podcast grow I'm all ears but let's move on to our guest I'm not gonna lie the first time I got a chance to talk to Mark Nofri I was intimidated by him a hundred percent I came into his office it was the beginning of my junior year and I was gonna do a stand-up report for the beginning of the season just for personal benefit getting some reps on camera so I wanted to talk to him to kind of get some insider information as, as you know, to, to see if I would get any interesting piece of information that I could report to kind of feel big time as they were starting their season. They were going on the road to Maine to kick off the 2019 season. And I walk in and, and obviously we weren't familiar with each other and, and I was nervous. I'm not going to lie. I was nervous, um, but he was great. And ever since then, I've gotten a chance to catch up with him and talk with him so much as, you know, we broke down the the schedule when it was still a thing in the summer. I've reached out to him and we've had great conversations. And this was just another great conversation that I had with him. We talked about pretty much everything 
and anything with with him. We talked about, you know, just everything from what's going on right now with college football and the craziness that's going on. Uh, obviously, the Northeast Conference will not be playing football in the fall as of now. They can still reevaluate that decision on October 1st. Realistically, I don't think they will change anything just because the COVID concerns, I think, are too great right now to be promising football in the fall. As for the spring, we're going to have to wait and see for that. His own his own playing career and coaching career, he's been at Sacred Heart since 1994. He's the winningest head coach at Sacred Heart and just a, just a great person at Sacred Heart. He is a successful football coach, but most importantly, I think he's a cheerleader of the university. He loves being a part of the university, seeing the success of these kids that he coaches and comes through. So without further ado, here's my interview with head coach of the football team, Mark Nofrey. Joining me now on the podcast is a familiar face within the Sacred Heart community. He's go. He's currently in his ninth season at the helm at Sacred Heart, and he's the winningest coach in Sacred Heart football history. It's Mark Nofrey. Coach, thanks so much for joining me. Let's just jump right into it. During this time, you're preparing for your first game of the season. How strange has this time been when there's no football going on? Uh, <laughs> it's strange, but it's very depressing. It's uh, a little sad, you know. Uh, I think about it every day, like, okay, now where would I be at this time of day and this date? And, uh, you know, you think about where you were last year at this time, and you never thought something like this would take place. Uh, it's it's crazy. It's uh it's depressing a little bit, but um, obviously a lot of people are going through it. And uh, I guess the good thing about the whole thing is that uh, right now my staff and myself and the kids, everybody on my team is, is healthy and uh, staying safe. But obviously you want to be playing. Uh, we would be getting ready today. We'd be doing our final walkthrough for our game tomorrow night versus Lafayette uh, here at Sacred Heart. And uh, it's just it's just different, you know, especially when the kids came back to campus last week. You know, you're watching everybody move in and, you know, you'd be wrapping up camp and, you know, it's an exciting part of the school year is when you start, you know, the fall semester and kids are moving in in August and you're finishing camp and, you know, there's a little bit of uh, smell of fall in the air and uh, football season is about to begin and it's not happening. I mean, it was only maybe about a month and a half ago that I was talking with you when we were breaking down your 2020 schedule. It was all conference games because all your non-conference games had been uh, canceled at that point. But then a couple weeks later, the Northeast Conference made their official decision to push it back. Um, where were you and, and what kind of was going through your head, if you can remember, when you got that news and, and you, you kind of had to come to that reality that there was not going to be football played in the fall? Um, actually, it was funny. Uh, I was about to begin uh, coaching my 19U baseball team. Um, we were getting ready to, to start that game, and I was on a Zoom call. Um, with the athletic department here. And uh, when the announcement came through with the NEC saying that they were going to cancel or postpone fall sports, um, going into it, you know, all late spring, early summer, we kind of thought that we had a chance to at least play conference games. And then when it came down to it, it was, you know, about mid-July um, that they finally made a decision that they were going to postpone the fall season. Uh, a little disheartening, you know, you get a little knot in your stomach and, uh, it was kind of sad, you know, it's just, it's depressing. I know that they did it um, with the interests of the kids and the health and, and the situation that's going on in the world today. But, um, you know, we all, we all feel bad about it. We all are disappointed about it, but again, uh, hopefully this is just short time and we're back up and running here with a, as a football program with games in the near future. 
Yeah, and, and in their official statement, they had said that they would reevaluate the decision on October 1st and, and move on from there. In your opinion, how feasible do you think it is for a conference like the Northeast Conference or even college football as a whole to move it to the spring? I think if you want to do it, you could do it. Obviously, you need to start planning now and putting uh, protocols and parameters in place. Um, but there's no problem with us doing it. I know if uh, somebody asked me, would you rather wait 18 months to play or would you rather play in the spring um, a conference schedule than shorten a little bit of the 2021 schedule and play, you know, two seasons in one academic year? I'd say I'm all for it. And I'm pretty sure you'll ask all my kids and 100% of them would say they'd rather play in the spring than not play at all. And, and I think you can do it. And I think it is feasible and I think you can pull it off. But the planning for that and working out the logistics has to start going in place now. And uh, the NCAA and the FCS committee, the NEC, they're all discussing those uh, issues right now and putting uh, guidelines in place and a, you know, a realistic approach of when we would start. Um, obviously, you wouldn't have a summer camp like you would in August, but you would start practices some point in end of January, um, you know, with a four week, pretty much the mo most of February, maybe the last week in January, you'd be practicing once a day because you'd be in school and hopefully kick off the season either the last weekend in February or first weekend in March in the NEC, we would play seven conference games, which would go seven straight weeks with no buying and kind of bring you up till April 15th because they're kicking around the idea of SCS to play a playoff system with only eight to 16 teams invited to the tournament for the spring. So um, everything in terms of league games would have to be done by April 15th. And I think it's a great idea. I think it can be done, but again, we need to start working on that plan now and make sure we hit the ground running when it is put in place and if it is put in place. Yeah, and that's interesting that you talk about the timeline of it and you said that your your kids would obviously be so thrilled to be able to play in the spring, but the biggest argument for that is you're going to be playing two football seasons in the same calendar year, which people will allude to injuries and, and these kids being burnt out, but it seems like you don't feel that would be a problem. I don't. Um, I think if you had played seven games in the spring, and like I said, it was over by April 15th, I think what you could do is instead of playing 11 games next fall for the fall of 21, you could play nine games. Uh, you would play seven conference games, two non-league games, and you wouldn't have to start until the third week in September. So that would not be, you know, you would instead of bringing the kids back August 1st for a September 1st game, you would bring them back at the end of August um, and play nine straight weeks. I mean, the Ivy League does it. They start the third week of September every year. They actually play 10 straight weeks with no bye week, and they're done the Saturday before Thanksgiving. We could do the same thing, play nine straight weeks, even back it up another week. And that would allow the kids, if they were done April 15th in the spring season, and not bring them back by the, until the end of August, it would give them at least another four weeks to rest and recover from the spring season. But again, you know, the football season is long. It's grueling. It's hard on your body. Uh, but instead of playing 11 games, you play seven. And then instead of playing 11 in the fall, you play nine. I mean, that'd be 16 games in the course of a calendar year. If you look at some of the best FCS teams out there, North Dakota State, JMU, some of those other schools, when they go to the playoffs and they make it all the way to the end, they're playing 15, 16 games in a calendar year between September and December. So it can be done. Um, obviously, the injuries are a concern, but I think if we prepare – properly and we take into precaution some of the things and the uh, protocols we put in place it can be done and, and make sure everybody stays healthy 
Yeah, it's certainly something that will be interesting to see as we the Northeast Conference makes their decision and to see what uh, what happens moving forward. But even now, there are some FCS schools that are playing. Obviously, we've heard all the news about the SEC, the ACC, the Pac-12 trying to get games in in the fall. What are your thoughts on possibly having this this point in time in college football where you're going to have some teams that are going to have a 2020 season and then there's a team like Sacred Heart that isn't really going to be playing in the fall of 2020 and may not even play in the spring of 2021. Yeah, you know, the Power Fives are a whole different animal. Um, obviously, you know, they have a lot more money than uh, most universities do, and they can do different things with their student-athletes in terms of testing and tracing. I think if they can pull it off and do it, the Power Five conferences, I think it's outstanding, and it's great for the student-athletes. Um, I mean, that's what they're – working for year round and they're there in the summertime and uh, you know obviously they're they're there to go to school but also football plays a major factor in it and if they can pull it off and do it this fall more power to them and I'd love to see it if you don't have those resources and there isn't probably more than maybe six or seven FCS teams playing this fall um, that's you know close to 95 percent of the FCS teams are not playing in the fall and you know the resources are a little bit different again we're not a power five conference. You know, we're not on TV with the TV rights and the money that you get for some of those conferences. So we're in a little bit different situation than they are. I'd say if you can get it done and pull it off and keep everybody in your team healthy and safe. Great. But again, we haven't even played, they haven't even played a game yet at the FBS level. And now you're going to add in, you know, the travel from different States and, you know, we'll see, hopefully it continues to, it, to go forward with the plan that they have. And there's no hiccups through the whole thing. And, I'd love to see them play their nine or 10 game conference schedule, start that second next weekend or even this week with some of the schools and play right through December. And hopefully they don't have any setbacks and the student athletes uh, get the experience that they're wanted and they all stay healthy with no issues. Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be such an interesting trend to see as, as we march through September, but let's go more specifically to you. And while I was doing my research, I heard that you are a very superstitious coach. All the way down to where you park in the parking lot on game day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you could say that. Um, you know, a little bit of creature of habit. And, uh, you know, you, you start running things through your mind. And uh, well, would we do this week? Or what did I do those other weeks in terms of getting a win? And I try and keep the same routine. Like I said earlier, you know, I'm sitting here in August home and uh, – don't know what to do with myself. And I look at my watch and I say, I can tell you right now where I've been the last 28 years on this time and this day. So yeah, I'm a little superstitious. What are there any other, other habits that you do on game day? Uh, some things I'd like to keep to myself, but yeah, you know, kind of where I park and uh, you know, what door I come in and uh, you know, my pregame routine that I have for myself. But yeah, there's, there's some superstitions in there that I, uh, I still uh, use every single game day or every single week. Well, listen, I mean, you're, when you win 50 games in eight years, you know, the superstitions seem to be working. So it would be, it would, it would be, I wish they work a little more. <laughs> it would be a little foolish of me to question, question your habit, but not to age you, but you've been at Sacred Heart since 1994. And at that time it was a division three program. And now right. it's worked all the way up to a division one program. Talk about the growing pains that you have experienced going from even from Division three to Division two, and then making that leap up to Division one competition. You know, it, it to see it go from those three different levels. And at any point in time, when you started a new football program, I came to Sacred Heart, and they were going into year three of football. 
it doesn't happen overnight. Um, there's a lot that goes into it. And, you know, some of the alumni obviously uh, built the foundation here and went through some of the harder times. And the kids here now are reaping the benefits. But over the course of time, you got to expand. You got to expand your um, scholarship pool, your coaches, your facilities. You got to continue to build and push the envelope. And I think our school has done a great job doing that. Uh, for the last 28 years that I've been here, each year we've been able to push the envelope and get a little better in certain areas that help build a winning program. And I think that's a tribute to the school, the administration, um, their views on in their future, what they want and where they're going. And uh, like I said, it's, it's come a long way uh, from the days of, you know, we didn't even have the pit center offices here. We were working out of mobile home trailers down in the North parking lot. There was uh, one gymnasium, one locker room for all the sports. And when your season was over, you had to leave the locker room. So right down to where the coaches and the grad assistants were doing the players laundry weekly because we didn't have an equipment room. So, you know, it's changed and, and I can't be more thankful than seeing what we've done here and the vision that the schools had in terms of how high they hold football and high, how, how high they hold athletics uh, when building the facilities. Like I said, we've increased our scholarships the last couple of years. We've done a great job renovating or building facilities here. And that plays a big part in winning and, and moving forward with the culture. And I can't help when you talk about just how much Sacred Heart has sprouted up at the picture right behind you. I mean, that, that picture is a, just a beautiful one taken on the scoreboard, which is fairly new, overlooking the field with turf that is fairly new. And then in the background, you have the Bobby V Center, which obviously opened last season. When you're there coaching, you know, I, being from around the area, I remember when the Bobby V Center was just a patch of grass. I remember when the scoreboard was smaller. What has it been like right around campus field to just see that place explode and get so many students there to come to the games as you have continued to push the envelope? You know, we, we've done a great job probably since 2013, uh, 2013 when we won the uh, NEC championship for the first time in a while. And uh, the crowds that we've been gathering in, uh, you know, obviously when you win, more people come to the games. Uh, but I would say since 2013, and especially the last two years with our outpost uh, in the end zone and the crowd atmosphere. I, I got to tell you, it's one of the best game day atmospheres in any school in the NEC. Uh, we do a great job promoting the games. We get great support from our students, uh, from the other student athletes on other teams, family, friends. I mean, you can come here on a Saturday afternoon in October, parents weekend, homecoming weekend, uh, the opening game, and you'll see the place is packed. And to the point where, we're actually kind of outgrowing our stadium. And uh, eventually you would like to see us add more stands to it or, you know, a bigger press box because, you know, there's more people coming to the games. They're doing more TV stuff. Um, and, and we're starting to expand and get a little bit bigger. And those things need to expand as well. But our game day atmosphere is outstanding. And I usually walk the track around 7 o'clock in the mornings during the week. And, uh, you know, I was able to see the Bobby Valentine building going up, like you said, from a patch of grass to where it is now and I just I sit here and I walk the track and I look at the stands and I just picture what it used to be um, and how we didn't draw anyone and you know we were struggling at times and we didn't have this we didn't have that and to see where it is now and the, the facilities and the atmosphere and just it, you're proud to be a part of it you know and and people ask me all the time you know why don't you leave why don't you go somewhere else why would I you know why would I, I got you know I work for the best institution out there in the NEC and uh I love the school. I love my players. Uh, my assistants are outstanding. The school's supportive. They've done a great job. Uh, like I said, 
increasing scholarships, increasing facilities, um, doing other things to the campus to attract the student athlete. It's, it's a great place to be, and I say it all the time. It's a great time to be a pioneer, so why leave? Absolutely. When was the first time in your life that you th- thought that you could be a college football coach? Uh, probably as a little kid, you know, um, you know, when I was playing in uh, high school or, you know, Pop Warner in the younger days, and, you know, I really had a passion for the game and loved it, loved being around it. Uh, my dad was a high school coach when I was little. Um, he ended up getting out of it once I started playing in high school, but I was always with him on the sidelines that, you know, when he was coaching high school games and, uh, just been around it my whole life and grown up next to it. And, uh, always something that I wanted to do for a living and, uh, love being around a game. I love giving back. And, you know, one of the things is I like developing the relationships with the kids and the coaches, you know, to have that many kids on your team, uh, all fighting for the same goal. And, um, you know, just trying to see them coming as young adults, 18-year-olds, and leave and graduate, you know, at 22 or 23 years old and see how much success they've had and the difference that who they were when they came in as an 18-year-old to when they left as a 23-year-old, you know, makes you feel good. And then you get emails and text messages from guys now, football alumni that you haven't seen in a while or talked to, and you see them all grown up with kids and, you know, married and big-time jobs. And it's like, you know, you played a part, a uh, major part for four years in her life, and it makes you feel really good about, you know, what we were able to do here and the experience that we gave them. It, it's so funny because even for, for coaches and, and even people who go into sports media, that was never really the plan. Usually, you know, they want to be a professional athlete and, and play sports for a living. So it's unique that from an, even from a young age, you knew that you wanted to be a college football head coach. Yeah, I, I knew that from the get-go. Uh, I knew I wasn't ever going to play in major leagues, uh, but uh, that's the next best thing is to be around it as much as you can um, and, and use it as a profession. What was your favorite memory playing football? Oh, <laughs> maybe winning the uh, sectional championships at the Carrier Dome my senior year in high school um, or possibly going to a uh, – a college uh, bowl game my sophomore year at Dean College. Um, probably those two situations. In terms of playing, I- I'd say coaching-wise, um, you know, winning those NEC championships, the first one in 2013, um, you know, 14 was a great win. And-, and even 18, I mean, I talk about it all the time, you know, 2018 championship. Uh, we were a talented team, but we probably weren't the most talented team in the NEC. And that team in 2018 was as tough as nails. Uh, they played together, the sense of uh, chemistry that they developed amongst each other and the grit that they had carried them to the NEC championship. And, and to see how hard they worked and the type of kids that they were on and off the field, they deserved it. And I was so proud of – I'm proud of all those championships and the kids that have come through. But that 2018 team, there were some special kids in there um, that they were determined to pull it off and, and make sure they come home with a, a piece of that championship and the – the way they did it and just how to go about being so close in the chemistry was something special to watch, be a part of actually. Yeah. And I remember that 2018 team because you're cu- come, you were coming off of a 2017 team when you didn't play the best. I believe you were four and seven, you were yeah. below 500 and you were picked low in the, in the coaches poll. Second and to then, last. And then you, you emerge into co NEC champions. I mean, you know, when you, when, you've had the expectation of being one of the, the best teams in the NEC. And now you have that experience of being one of the teams that is slept on in the NEC. What is the difference in expectation when you're 
picked and expected to finish well? And then what's the expectation when not many people are, are, are counting on you to produce? You know, I try and talk to the team all the time. It's great to be picked in preseason, you know, but again, preseason means nothing. Once they show it on the screen where you're picked or if you're all conference or whatnot, the next day it's over and done with because nobody goes back to the preseason polls and looks at it. You want to be at the top at the end. Um, when you're picked last, it, it gives the kids a little bit more of a chip on their shoulder. You know, um, hey, they got no respect for us. They don't think we're very good. They don't think that, you know, we're going to be at the top of the league. And and you maybe your kids play a little bit different or they keep that in the back of their mind. And I know we try and use it a little bit as motivation. But when you're picked at the top and you know you're pretty good, that's, you know, presents another challenge in terms of, hey, guys, I know you think you're pretty good and so do the polls, but let's remember who we are and how we got to where we are. Um, and you got to stay on kids 24-7 and you got to make sure they understand just because you're picked first in the preseason means nothing because at the end of the year, that's the poll that counts. So you're constantly riding them and making sure they understand, you know, don't fall in the habit. Don't be complacent. Um, don't go off the preseason ratings. you got to go out and do it because nobody's going to hand it to you. Yeah, and and I mean, since you've been the head coach, I mean, you're like you said, three time NEC champions, and the players that you've coached, you've had so many uh, awards, all Americans, all conference honors. The thing that stuck out to me the most, and I want to talk to you about, is you've had three freshmen win NEC Rookie of the Year, and they've all been fairly recent. RJ Noel, just a couple years back, and then you go Julius Chestnut and Tyrese Chambers in back to back years. What about? whether it's, it's the personnel that you have or the coaching style that allows a couple of freshmen to be able to crack in and, and produce enough where they get that recognition across the conference? Um, you know, I, I think it goes back to our coaches doing a great job finding the right student-athlete that fits what we do and who we are. Um, those kids were able to come in and, and step in and play as freshmen, and not only play as freshmen, but have success as freshmen. Um, and it goes back to their mindset. Do they work? You know, are they workers on and off the field? Like people say it all the time. If your best player is your hardest worker, you're in a good position. And, and those are three of the kids that, you know, came in here. They fought for time. They showed us what they could do. We gave them the opportunity to do it, and they were able to produce, which shows me that they're committed. They're football guys, you know. When you go back and you look at R.J. Noel, he didn't play his freshman year. We redshirted him. Um and then from there on, he started every game for four years. Um, he was one of the kids that I referred to as a football junkie. Uh, just a kid. It's just, you know, you refer to these basketball guys as gym rats. Oh, RJ's a football junkie. Uh, he was constantly in our offices watching film, watching tape, throwing on the side, doing more. Uh, Off-season conditioning, he was always first. You know, and, and Julius Chestnut's like that. He's athletically gifted where – the kid is unbelievable in terms of the talent, the size, the speed, the strength that he has. And you never hear a peep from him in terms of dogging it in the weight room. He's not someone that's going to be last when it comes to running sprints. The kid works. And those traits play into why they were named rookies of the year. Not only did they fit our school and our culture, but they had talent and they knew it. And they worked just as hard as anybody who wasn't playing. Um, and I'm happy that they were able to get those awards. And I'm happy they are pioneers in playing for Sacred Heart University. Yeah, and, and I know we had talked about this when we broke down the schedule, but it just seems that the, the way that you run the program is just so much of a family atmosphere. Not so much even the product you put on the field, but just all over campus. And whenever you see members of the team together, it's just 
it's a different feeling. I feel like can how do you go in instilling that when you have these freshmen that come in and you know you have to teach them this is a family you know embrace that. You know, I think one of the things is is a tribute to my assistant coaches. Um, they do a great job, obviously, finding the right kid for this program and the right fit for Sacred Heart. But they do an unbelievable job talking to the kids, meeting with the kids, texting the kids, hanging out in the office with the kids. And not only as a coach, but as, you know, someone that we're responsible for and that we care for, um, whether it be an off-the-field issue or, hey, how's your family or where are you going this summer or, you know, things like that. They've kind of instilled it. Um, and we as a staff have made sure we say, hey, listen, if somebody comes to our office, it's our first responsibility to make sure we stop what we're doing um, or when we get off the phone, the next thing we do is we talk to the kid that's waiting to meet with us or wanting to meet with us. And, you know, that's one of the things you create, a family atmosphere. And we stress it all the time to our kids, you know. You don't fight each other. You fight for each other. Um, and that's how you build that camaraderie and the chemistry that we had in 2018. When we bring kids on the campus for recruits, we tell them all the time, you know, listen, uh, you need to spend time with our kids. You need to meet our players. You need to spend a weekend with them to find out if you fit in and if you like Sacred Heart. And, and the ones that do come back and they say, Coach, you know, I really like, you know, how close your team is. I really like it. It seems like a family atmosphere. And people can say it, um, but I think we prove it by hanging out with our kids, checking on our kids, you know. Is it always uh, an easy thing? No, there's times where, you know, you're going to get mad at a student athlete for something he did or didn't do. Um, but again, that's what we're here for, to try and coach them up, teach them. Um, and then obviously we do what we have to do to make sure we get back on the same page and everybody's heading in the same direction. And one of the things that we pride ourselves on is making sure that we're close and we're tight knit. And when you come to Sacred Heart, you're going to get that feeling from the players and you're going to get that feeling from the coaches because that's just who we are. We're genuine. We're not going to lie. We're going to tell you straight up how things are. And, you know, we want you to buy into what we do. It's worked, you know, and when it works for you, it's a lot easier to preach and get kids to believe in because it works. To close out the interview, I want to do some rapid fire questions, just okay. some, some random things. So uh, favorite place to be on campus outside of campus field. Oh, <laughs> Pit center, bottom floor. Favorite food? Uh, steak. How do you like your steak? Uh, medium well. Okay. Late summer games, beginning of the season, or the cold games at the end of the year? Uh, the cold games when they count in late November is nothing better than playing a game that matters in late November when it's cold and you had some snow on the field a little bit like 2018. Those are the best games to be involved with. Best player you've ever coached against? Against? Against. Oh. <laughs> I asked the tough questions. Yeah, I know. There's the, as a head coach, maybe, or uh, as a what, – Whatever one comes to mind. I got to say the quarterback at Fordham in the playoffs was pretty darn good. Um, he was one of the better ones that we've ever played against. Um, I would probably go with him. Favorite place to eat on campus? Uh, Lynn and McMahon's. And finally, what is your favorite Sacred Heart football jersey? Favorite jersey? The jersey, one of the jersey. What is the favorite jersey that your team wears? I would say our uh, the jersey we have now, red top, white bottom, with the traditional white helmet and no in the SHU logo on the side. 
I will say that the uniform, the uniform schemes that you have put out over the years with the gray ones, the military ones that you wear at the beginning of the season, like they have, you know, you're, you have so many different combinations that you can do that they're, they're all good in my opinion, but that's, yeah, that's yeah, a great I, one. They are, but I still, and it's, it's funny. I wish we were playing this fall because we had some other things we were going to show or bring out um, for this fall as well. But I got to say my favorite is this year's red jersey uh, with the white traditional pants and the white helmet with the white face mask. The traditional Sacred Heart look is my favorite of all time. I'm old school, though, so, you know, kids sometimes like the, uh, the different stuff that's a little too loud for me, but I'd still go back to the old school uniform. I will say the, the biggest uh, unveil that I loved was the, the Patriot, or the, uh, like what the Patriots do with their yep. throwback, and you had the Pioneer on the helmet. That was, that was in a way, it was like a throwbacky kind of newish thing as well. So I, I like that one the most. That was... That was certainly a good one. Yeah, we got a lot of <laughs> we got a lot of people saying that. So, um, you know, right now that was a one-time deal last year, but we'll see if we can bring it out again in the next time we get on the field for competition. Well, coach, you're you're a class act. Thank you so much for joining me. Uh, it, it's always great to get to catch up to you, with you, and and hopefully that you know we'll get some news in, in the near future about whether or not we'll be able to take the field uh, this year. Yeah, thanks for having me. I love doing these with you and. Anything you need or want, you know my door's always open, even if you just want to come up and talk. Always appreciate it, Coach. Thank you. Thanks, Dan. Yeah, and once again, thanks so much to Coach Nofri for taking the time to talk to me. I know it's such a weird time for him, and I can't even imagine. As a man of many superstitions, he only shared a couple, but to be able to come in to work now, it's as I'm recording this podcast, it's September 4th. They would be preparing for their game like he said, against Lafayette, which would have been tomorrow. It would have been the season opener. It would have been the home opener. It would have been, there would have been so much buzz around campus. And there was a lot of, a lot of expectations for the football team this year. So I I feel for him. You know, I think this is just such a tough time for everybody, players, coaches, fans, everybody. But all we can do right now is, is hope and wait and see what the future steps are going to be moving forward. But anyway, that'll conclude the podcast episode one. Hopefully you liked it. If you didn't reach out to me, like I said, I want this to be very conversational, obviously with the interviews that I'm doing, but it, for you, the, the the listeners, if there's anything that I can do or any person that you want to hear from on this podcast, let me know. My social media is at, Gar, at Dan Gardella. Reach out to me. Let's have a conversation. Let's talk about who you want to, who you want to hear from and what I could do to maybe make this podcast a little bit better. Episode two, we have a great guest already lined up. He was one of the best players in the Northeast Conference last season on the hardwood, and now he's taking his talents to a Power 5 school for the upcoming season. I won't spoil it any more than that. You're going to have to stay tuned to see who I get to talk to next. But until then, for Dan Gardella, thanks so much for listening again. I really appreciate any listeners that that take a a listen and, and maybe learn a little bit something about some of the people that I interview. But until next week, thanks for joining